Eric Estep here. One of my favorite parts of being a NASCAR fan is collecting diecasts. It's how I got my start on YouTube, actually. To me, a room is not complete until it features shelves of NASCAR diecast cars. It's as good a time as ever to continue your collection or begin an all-new one by pre-ordering your favorite driver's 2022 next-gen diecast at LionelRacing.com or at any authorized Lionel retailer. Lionel is the official diecast of NASCAR, and don't miss Lionel Racing's NASCAR Authentics diecasts at a Walmart or Target near you. Not only is Lionel the official diecast of NASCAR, but they're also official supporters of the Out of the Groove Podcast Network. So what are you waiting for? Head to LionelRacing.com to order your favorite driver's 2022 diecast. Hey, Ben, it's Aaron. Hey, Aaron, it's Ben. So, Ben, how long have you been following NASCAR? A lifetime. How fitting, then, that we're the hosts of the A Lifetime in NASCAR podcast. A Lifetime in NASCAR highlights NASCAR's illustrious history with analysis and anecdotes from a couple of NASCAR historians, namely myself, Aaron Burns, and my buddy, Ben White. We're going to discuss contemporary NASCAR topics and everything we've seen and heard through the years. You'll learn about where the sport has been, where it will go, and the inside scoop on some of the craziest stories you will ever hear. Ben, we're getting rolling. It is episode 16 of A Lifetime in NASCAR. Um, The thing I want to start with this week is a racetrack that I feel like a a lot of folks are pretty familiar with. Um, but it's not like one that we've ever discussed before, um, both in the way it's laid out and the way that it exists and absolutely the kind of racing that's on it. So uh, if you were to think of a racetrack, just your average like mile and a half, two mile racetrack, okay, think about putting a football field in the middle of it. Then think about shrinking it down even smaller than a half mile, so even smaller than Bristol. And then think about some of the absolute wildest fans, craziest people you could think of attending a race. And you still would not have the charm and the allure, the, uh, I'm running out of words to describe it, of Bowman Gray Stadium. Bowman Gray Stadium is, God, it's something, Ben. (laughs) I know it's right, it's it's not terribly far from the Charlotte area. Uh, You guys need to check it out if you've never been. Bowman Gray is a racetrack that has existed uh, as uh, in, in NASCAR for what 50, 60 years, Ben? Oh, absolutely. Uh, maybe even a little bit further along than that. And I'll tell you what the appeal is for for me personally mm-hmm. to go to to Bowman Gray Stadium. It, it of course it's the racing, it's the cars, it's the color. But I got to tell you what it is for me. It's the vinegar fries. Okay, if you've not tried vinegar fries and salt, you got to do that. Wow, it's we agree the, on something food related. It's really do, unheard okay? of. We <laughs> really do, and it's the cigar smoke. It's the Saturday night under the lights. It's uh, I want to say I think it's April, late April to August. Yeah, man, I'm telling you what, if you have a chance, you have got to experience. Bum Gray Stadium in the summer, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. If you're coming into Winston-Salem, you see those lights, you see some of the smoke in the in the air. Bowman Gray Stadium has got to be one of the absolute coolest racetracks on earth. And believe it or not, there was a time 
when the Cup Series ran at Bowman Gray Stadium, some of the greatest Cup Series races then, the Grand National Series, yeah. as it was called, yep. and greatest races ever. And the, here's the trick to winning at Bowman Gray Stadium. You got to win the pole, because when you win the pole, you pretty much got to win the race, because you cannot get around uh, the guy if, if you win the pole, if you finish, you know, start second, maybe if you start third, you're in a pretty good spot. The rest of the cars behind you, they're going to wreck, and there's going to be a lot of bent sheet metal. <laughs> yep. And and there's some, believe it or not, there's still metal guardrails around the place. It's around a football field, folks. It's flat as as my head. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's the cool. I can't describe how neat it is, but seriously, you go up there, I'm not sure exactly what the, what the tickets are. Uh, cost wise they're not, I mean, they're it's not expensive it. they're it's, not yes. they're like 15 20 bucks at i don't most, know at most. at most right Seventeen thousand people this is what it, it will hold but when you go up there take your best shoes okay because you got to put them on your feet you might have to stand up to, for the night this place is packed i mean there's other racetracks around the the area all over north carolina they wish they could just have a spot uh, in, in line behind Bowman Gray as far as attendance. I'm not kidding you people. This place is packed. I'm telling you, modified races. They've got the little street stocks. They got all kinds of races there. Sometimes they race school buses. I mean, oh, come on. This is the neat track. Enough said. But it, you, if you get a chance to go to Bowman Gray, you got to take the kids. You got to take your girlfriend, your wife, maybe yep. your wife and your girlfriend. You got to take everybody up here. Make it a, fam neat. Make it a family affair. And, and, yeah. and the reason you may be, you guys may be wondering, why are they talking, why are they stumping for Bowman Gray Stadium so much? Who is paying them for that? Nobody's paying us. We both really no. just think Bowman Gray is super cool. Uh, as Ben said, they raced in the Cup Series there from 1958 through 71. Uh, it's a quarter mile racetrack, uh, but you know we had alluded to the fact that they play football there as well. Winston Salem State University's football team plays there, and the Wake Forest University football team used to play there in the 1950s and 60s as well. So. There's been so many memories made at this racetrack. Richard Petty won there quite a few times. Bobby Allison won the last cup race at Bowman Gray in 1971. Um, and the thing that just kind of amuses me, Ben, is the fact that, you know, it's a really short racetrack. It's a quarter mile. And the distance of that race was 63 miles. Um, so they, yeah. they did not cover the, they didn't cover a whole lot of distance because that's probably about the distance it would be for me to drive to Bowman Gray. But this place, they call it the Madhouse. If you guys have, uh, I hope you do if you have iTunes, uh, they have had a show on there called Madhouse that chronicled a summer of watching action at Bowman Gray Stadium. There are people there, and this is the thing, Bowman Gray is NASCAR sanctioned, but it is unlike anything else in NASCAR. It's not like going to a short track race at Hickory or... Uh, Myrtle Beach, God rest its soul, or anywhere else in the country. It is it, There is no place else in the world like Bowman Gray. It is so crazy. I have seen fans fight there. I have seen drivers fight there. And I've only been three or four times, and it happens every time. You know, yeah. when I started, my first time I went, man, 2014, I was there to write a story on Burt Myers, who is one of the big names at Bowman Gray. It was Burt Myers, Junior Miller, Tim Brown, Danny Bond. Danny Bond is now in the truck series, which is really cool. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if... 
I don't know if I should say Danny Bond has graduated up to the truck series from Bowman Gray or he's taken a step down to the truck <laughs> series from Bowman Gray. It's just the racing yeah. is fascinating. And guys, if you played the NASCAR games and somebody wrecked you and pissed you off and you slowed down or went backwards to wreck them, as we all did and potentially still do, uh, they do that on the racetrack at Bowman Gray. It has been described as wrestling on wheels, not in the sense that it is uh, fixed or orchestrated, but in the sense that you know, if a guy, say a guy dumps a guy, say you win the pole, like Ben said, which you have to do at Bowman Gray, even more important than Martinsville or Bristol or Richmond, you, you need to be first or third. Say you start third, you take second on lap one, and you just dump the leader. Well, yeah, they'll throw a caution, but I mean, you know, nobody really bats an eye when the guy who was leading gets dumped, just parks his car in the infield because it's just grass, and just drives across the track and just plows into the side of the other car. And you just, it, the, the the absolute rain of cheers, is it's incredible. Yeah, you guys got to check sure out is. Bowman Gray. Um, hopefully, I, I know they're going back to racing, um, Ben, pretty soon, if they haven't already. So it is really cool. Uh, a lot of cup drivers have raced there when the um, right. Arca Menard series, I had to catch myself from saying the K&M Pro Series because I still caught that sometimes. But the Arca mm-hmm. Menard Series East raced at Bowman Gray several times. Um, so you had uh, Kyle Larson, Bubba Wallace, I think Chase Elliott raced there, William Byron, um, and I don't think any of them won because they didn't win the pole. No, no and, and uh, Matt DiBenedetto, I, I know, has raced there a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, here's the thing, too, Aaron. The the thing about racing at Bowman Gray, you talk about the Modifieds. Of course, that's the premier series at Bowman Gray. Yeah. But but let's make a comparison here. You're talking about let's take I don't know, let's take the truck series. I mean those those trucks are incredibly expensive, and you move up to Xfinity. Of course, you move up to the Cup Series, mega expensive and big sponsorships. Okay. But these these Modifieds, they they have many sponsorships helping to put the cars on the track but i don't know what the numbers are but let's call it 50 60 grand for these modifieds okay there's a lot of money on the line here and a lot of hard work that go into building these cars but they still get out there and they beat and they bang and a tremendous amount of pride goes into winning these races all right so you have a section for for a particular driver up there and another section for this driver, another section for this driver. I'm telling you, man, these, these fans are rabid fans for these drivers. No doubt. They follow them. They follow them for years. And, and if there's a little scuffle up there, things get pretty tense. And if you, if you want to see national news and when, and the announcer with the perfect hair and the white teeth says, ladies and gentlemen, there's a news flash. The Bowman Gray Stadium has come to a halt after 75 years of being open to the NASCAR public. You would have a riot. I'm, I am absolutely certain you'd yeah. have a riot among I'm, race absolutely. fans. Because this place has been open forever. And there's fans that say, hey, I got a choice to go to uh, Bristol this weekend or I'm going to Bowman Gray. No, I'm going to Bowman Gray. Because this is where I grew up. This is where my my family grew up. This is my favorite driver. This is where I'm going to go. I I mean, and, and that's what we said before. Bowman Gray is not paying us money to to plug them. I'm just telling you, if you're a, yeah. a true blue yep. race fan and you love to see Saturday night stock car racing at its very best, go to Bowman Gray just for once. Just take your your wife, your children, just to say I went to Bowman Gray. I remember my dad took me there. You know, twenty some. 
years ago, a one-time experience. Don't make it a one-time experience, but just say I went there one time. Yeah. But I'm telling you, it's just the greatest Saturday night short track show you're ever going to find. But a couple of things real fast, okay? There are a couple of things that come to mind. 19, Mid-1960s, I want to say this happened in 65 or 66, when Curtis Turner was the man to beat everywhere on the stock car series, okay? He was back and he got banned in 61, for trying to unionize the Grand National Series back in 65. So let's call it 65. I believe it was, that's when it was. Okay, Bobby Allison was relatively new to the Cup Series. They got into this major, major, major scuffle at Bowman Gray, and Bobby was leading. He's the young kid. Well, Curtis was going to have no part of that, so he puts Bobby in the fence. Bobby got a lot of damage to his race car, and he chased him down on the racetrack and put the man, Curtis Turner, in the wall. Curtis chased him down through the grass in the middle of the racetrack. This went on for lap after lap, and and if you go back to to the history books and read this thing, Bobby did not back down to Curtis. This was, you know, very well documented how Bobby stood up to the man, Curtis Turner. Well, that sort of helped propel him into the spotlight and made him a superstar. The second thing that happened at Bowman Gray, 1971, was when Bobby Allison was given the chance to run a Grand American Mustang because they didn't have enough Grand National cars. I think I know where this one's going. Yeah. And so Bobby ends up winning the race in a Grand American car. And if you can put this in perspective, it was a division below the Grand Nationals, which was the Premier Series, and the Grand American cars were below that. So if you can make a comparison, Cup Series, Xfinity Series. So they didn't have enough cars, right? So they allowed them to come in and be part of of the lineup. So Bobby wins in a Mustang. All right, they let him in the field to begin with. And then he takes the checkered flag and they're like, well, no, you can't win because you're in a grand American car. So there's been controversy over this particular win for what, 50, 48, 50 years. So when you hear Bobby Allison has 84 wins, well, no, he has 85 wins. Well, no, he has 84 wins. No, I'm in the 85 camp and this is why. You started him in the field, he took the green flag, his car was legal. And when he comes across to take the checkered flag, he should have been given the win for taking the checkered flag. So that's, I'm in the 85 camp. So Bobby Allison absolutely unequivocally definitely has 85 cup series victories, but that it depends on who you ask. It depends on what day it is. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, he's got 85. If you ask a guy with the last name Waltrip, he has 84. (laughs) That's true. That's very true. And, and, you know, I, I don't know why we can't finally solve it. I've written several articles about this uh, over over 38 years of writing articles, and, and I'm, I don't know what the controversy is all about. Isn't it if weird, let, though, Ben, that, like, yeah. you got Bobby Allison, Jimmy Johnson, Daryl Waltrip, and uh, Kale Yarbrough all with almost the same number of wins? Yeah, and for it's sure. Just, and I think it's ego that, that, you know, one side doesn't want to acquiesce to the other, and so... They think that, you know, they think Bobby might have 84 because I think 84 would tie him with Daryl. 85 would put him ahead of Daryl. Um, right. And, yep. you know, so the, the arguments will rage on. You brought up a great point with Bobby, though. Um, as much as I hate it, I'm going to step away from Bowman Gray for a second, which, sure. by the way, Ben and I make a 
half-hearted effort to control the way we enunciate, um, you know, half-hearted at best, at least in my case, but to, um, to, to adequately pronounce Bowman Gray as the locals pronounce it, uh, it's Bowman Gray. It's like B A W M A N G R E Y, going out, going out to Baum Gray. Um, that's yeah. also how the great Burt Myers pronounces it. Um, but anyway, <laughs> take a step away. Step away. Thank you. Actually, very good. I've yeah. been a few times, and I've grown up, grew up in North Carolina, so it, it's uh, it came quite naturally to me. Um, yeah, you did so, good. Thank you. So, um, Bobby Allison, eighty-five camp. Count me in there too. I think that okay, if good. a guy is All in right. the field and he is given a chance to uh, compete, if he finished, if he got crashed out, he would he would have been put 18th. But if he won, he should be put first. So that, I think it's fairly cut and dry, in my opinion. But everybody, yeah. the arguments will rage on. Ben, what would you think? Because uh, the recent Cup races, you know, they hold up to 40. They capped it at 40 cars. Um, most of the time, it was 43. Now it's down to 40 since 2016. But what would you think? If I think there were 37 cars entered for Darlington, if they let like the three fastest ARCA cars enter the cup race, what if Ty Gibbs enters the, what if Ty Gibbs enters the race and he wins? I think I'd probably count that as a win. I feel like NASCAR uh, probably counted as a win now, wouldn't they? Absolutely. 100%. He would be the winner because he filled out the entry blank, right? Yep. He gave, he was given the, uh, the invitation to fill out the entry blank, he fills it out. He is taking, he's passive inspection. He goes across the start finish line to take the green. He pass, he does, you know, he's not found illegal at the end of the race because he runs some jet fuel or something crazy. And then he wins the race and he passes inspection. He's not too high, you know, whatever, whatever the rules are. And yep. he passes and he wins. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's just extremely simple, and he is in the playoffs, and that's the rule. I totally agree. If you did, if you allowed three Xfinity cars, you know, to fill out that forty-car field, you allowed him to come into the field. I don't care who it is. If it was Ben White and Aaron Burns, and miraculously we see. Here's the thing, though. I mean, you and I could get in a car and we could drive at a place like Daytona and Talladega, mm-hmm. and we just keep our eyes closed. Uh, (laughs) hold your breath for 200 laps (laughs) yeah yeah exactly see i could drive at daytona and talladega there's only two things that would stop me one i'd have to find a way to get in the car i'm a little bit i'm I'm better than i used to be i've lost some weight but i could get in the car okay okay and the only the second part is if i got in after i stopped screaming like a girl (laughs) (laughs) when i spin (laughs) then you know, if I didn't hit anything, right? Yep. But if I could keep the car going in the straight direction, I could go. I could do this. If I could come to a stop in a pit stop and they say, straighten your tires. We've told yep. you about this. Wheel straight, foot on the brake. You know, put on the brake, all right? And after all the guys got off the ground after jumping out of the way, yep. you know, because I forgot to push the brakes. But, hey, I mean, I could, I could do it, all right? So if they let me in the field and I did all the proper paperwork and all that jazz, yeah, all jokes aside, yeah. I love it. Would work. <laughs> I love it. I love super speedway racing too. So this idea is really appealing to me. I would love yeah. to try it. The reason, so the reason, what keeps me from doing it, um, aside from actually acquiring a NASCAR license, and then we'd have to go through the rigmarole mm-hmm. of getting 
uh, approval to run. You know, now they go like you got to run a half mile and then a mile and then an intermediate before they let you run a super speedway. Um, back in the day, even as you know, as recent as the 1980s, if you just you know entered and paid your NASCAR license, they're like, all right, you know, give them like 150 bucks and you can qualify, try to qualify. Um, mm-hmm. I would love to do it because see, to me, the speed is what I find attractive. I would I would love to do this. I would love to compete. I think um, I think I can handle being in the draft. The way people side draft you um, and manipulate your car in the air without. Uh, the experience of that beyond people side drafting me on the way to work in the morning, which they do, um, it, that would be a new experience for me. So I feel like I probably would struggle a little bit. Um, but being a lifelong Earnhardt fan, hopefully all the years I watched those guys take the lead and run really well could help me. Because again, the speed is not what scares me. It's the suddenly stopping and uh-huh. hitting the wall. Right. That's what gets me. Yeah, um, right, exactly. Yeah. You see, when I, you know, you and I talked about this before. When you, when I did the driving school mm-hmm. and the speed, you know, and I was really fast on I eighty five. And the, see, that's the thing. The speed is relative because if you're out there beside someone, even on the interstate, all right. If you and I were on the interstate, we're doing ninety or hundred miles an hour. That's not the problem, you know, because you're going side by side and we're we're inside outside with each other. That's cool. The problem is that when you see a wreck developing in front of you like that, then you're on top of that wreck in seconds. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it, like a football field a second if yep. you're at Talladega or Daytona. That's the problem is being able to manipulate your car in, in a blink of an eye. And I mean literally a blink of an eye. You're on top of something that is four or five football fields away. Suddenly you're in trouble on top of it. So you got to be able to move you got to be thinking about what you're doing, but you also got to be thinking about what six or eight guys behind you or in front of you are doing in a split second. And that's the hard part. So driving fast, that's not, that's not the issue. If you're doing 200 miles an hour, because everybody else is doing the same thing. You're exactly right. What's wrong with that scenario is you're having to think for 12 or 15 other people and they're having to think for 12 or yep. 15 other people. So that's, that's the problem. You got to take and, care and of the field. Side, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You got to take care of that. So it's, that's where the tough part comes from. Yeah. Um, and I was also thinking, as you were talking, I was thinking about what my car would be and it, it, I got to take it back to Bowman Gray for a second because I mm-hmm. rudely stepped away from Bowman Gray, which is never a, just frowned upon. Um, the last time I went to Bowman Gray, uh, they had, I don't remember if it was a sign there or what it was for Yadkin Valley Bull Peanuts. My back mm. bumper, that is the ultimate back bumper for a late model car. Yadkin Valley Bull Peanuts. That is, I mean, that is it. Like, if you want to be <laughs> the cool race car driver, you've got to have mm-hmm. the awesome, random ass sponsor on the back bumper. I mean, that's key. Like, it's more important than what's on the hood or on the quarter panel. It's what's on the back bumper. What are the, what's the guy in second staring at as I drive away from him? It would be Yadkin right. Valley Bull Peanuts, you know? I mean, there's Ford Motorcraft and Napa Auto Parts and Bass Pro yeah. Shops and, you know, Smithfield, all, all these sponsors in the Cup Series now. But, you know, you get, you know, you just get somebody's onboard camera and they're, they're following, you know, a car with a de- decal that says Yadkin Valley Bull Peanuts. You know, they, they mean business. The, yeah, I know, man. But do you know what the best one is of all time? I can tell you what it is. You know what? my I know, I, I know what I would have on the back of my car. Okay, tell me what you got. I, I would have this. It'd be real simple. If you're reading this, you lose. <laughs> that's what I. That's okay, what I would have. But what if I? What if I'm reading that on lap 38 though? That's that's only that's the only problem. 
I could see that on lap 38, and then if I could pass you later in the race, and then you could be staring at Yakin Valley Bull Peanuts and you cross the finish line. That's, well, that's true. That's true. I, I hate to poke a hole in your logic, man, but I got to well, defend my Yakin know. Valley Bull Peanuts sponsor, which, by the way, I feel like we talk about food every episode. Uh, well, um, you, and know. We, you know. We may as well, so I got to ask, what do you think about boiled peanuts? I'm okay with it. I mean, I like them. You know, I, to me, though, it takes a little effort to get to break open the the whole the thing you know yeah i i'm a i'm just give me the jar salted peanuts open the top go just go right in <laughs> ben will you will you describe for the audience what boiled peanuts are because i i kind of feel like and somewhat hope not everybody knows what they are yeah um they are they are pe- well first of all some people may not know this peanuts don't come in a jar <laughs> They, they don't grow up in a jar. They come from the ground and, you know, they got a, a hole, you know, that's the word, right? I, I don't know. <laughs> that's, you, that's, what, that's what a ship has, what, as far as I know. Shell, hull, whatever. And you boil them in salt water for a long, long time. Oh. And <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> and, and you just, you, you do the salt water and you crack them open and there they are. And they're pretty good, actually. Oh, that's <laughs> awful. Uh, I, I hate yeah. it. I hate, find it Georgia. absolutely disgusting. <clears throat> yeah, Georgia. Down in Georgia, man, around Bill Elliott country, you can get some pretty good, pretty good peanuts. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, I'll tell you what. There's at least one person from New Jersey who loves them. Because uh, I was at the Southern 500 in 2018. And uh, this, this of course, is one of the like the, the underlying memories of that uh, of being there. Um, God forbid, you know, I, I not go somewhere and have some sort of fan interaction that is as random as you could possibly have. Um, so sit in the stands, and the people uh, behind are from New Jersey. They are extremely from New Jersey, um, and you know, just speaking in a really, really thick New Jersey accent. One of the, the lady is like swearing up a storm. There's a baby sitting beside her, and she's just letting it fly. You know, typical, typical, you know, in the grandstands kind of thing. And mm-hmm. uh, I love it. I mean, I felt bad for them, but you know, you, with all due respect to people from New Jersey, a good friend of mine in college is from New Jersey. Um, if you end up sitting in a grandstand with somebody who is extremely from New Jersey, you know, they like it says on the back of your ticket, uh, the ticket holder is responsible for for at risk. You know, and and one mm-hmm. of the risks is sitting beside somebody from New Jersey. Um, and yeah, but again, I'm nothing against New Jersey. My, my, my buddy, Sean is from New Jersey. Um, he is super cool. Uh, he is a bodybuilder as it were. I don't know that he's a NASCAR fan, but, um, he's super cool. So nothing against people from New Jersey, but I mean, if you're extremely from New Jersey, like those people were, then they could, you, you know, your, your, your kid could hear all of the swear words in five minutes under a caution period. Um, but the best thing about these people was, um, one guy, so one guy gets up and he like goes to the concession stands or something and comes back. And then I'm not paying attention because I want to watch, I'm watching the damn race. And uh, he comes back a little bit later. And I don't know, I don't know, I didn't turn around and look at what they look like. Okay, Ben. So I'm passing judgment. I don't know if it's his mom or his wife because I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I didn't look. Um, I probably got punched if I did. And because they're extremely from New Jersey. And mm. um, wow. she goes, uh, and he's, he's, he's holding this, this can, this like, blank can or something and she's like uh really thomas with the boiled peanuts and he goes i can't help but i'm addicted i love them and uh i just that got me 
I was laughing so hard um, yeah. that apparently well, well, these Jersey folks love boiled peanuts. Man, I think they're gross. Well, here's the thing, man. Now, seriously, if you get into boiled peanuts, I got to stand up for them a little bit because once you start, they're they're pretty good. But they it's really in a sal- it's in a can of salt water, man. Nothing okay. in a can, nothing in salt water becomes good except seafood. Well, but now. I tell you what, now there's a guy that we both know, we really like him a lot, and he's a super, super nice guy. Never seen him upset other than at uh, Logano, mm-hmm. and that's that's Martin Truex Jr., and he's from New Jersey, yep. Mayette of New Jersey, and true. He, he is one of the nicest guys I have ever met in my life, so there you go, and I... I don't know that many people from New Jersey, but I'm sure if I did, I feel pretty confident they're really nice folks. And yeah, Truex is cool. So that's another. He one. is there's a he, bunch. No, here, there's some some super super nice folks from from New Jersey. But I got to stand up for the for the folks out there that love boiled peanuts. Do you and think Truex I, likes boiled peanuts before you start? Do you do. think he likes boiled peanuts? Do you think a lot I of the do. drivers like boiled peanuts? Because I must start I asking them now. I, I do, and I think the reason he likes them because a lot you know his family are are fishermen. True. True. And I think if I had to bet money, they probably have eaten a lot of boiled peanuts oh. on their little boats. Do you I, think, I think? Do you think he likes mayonnaise hot dogs too, or is that is I, that I, more I, of a stretch? I, I, I that's a stretch. I, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I I would venture to say he he would say what? You know, I don't. Now that's because he's from up north, and that's a real stretch. Most northerners look at me funny most southerners some southerners look at me funny when we talk about mayonnaise and hot dogs so i'm certain he would not yeah it's 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 a valid question though because you know these drivers think peanuts are bad luck are boiled peanut uh, if you put them in salt water for a long period of time does that drain out you know does that does the bad luck dissolve i wonder i i don't know but i think the key i've never really boiled peanuts personally but i think the key to that is it's a slow boil okay to get the, the flavor just right you know as, as i think now i could be wrong could be a south carolina thing i think it is but i think it's also a north georgia thing maybe we need to ask chase elliott this question next time we see him i'm absolutely asking him a hundred thousand percent and i'll tell you who's i'll tell you somebody else who i think would know this uh, maybe i'm wrong i think i think uh blaney would know uh, for some reason he act, i think He's he would be a boiled How, i know but yeah, I think, he'd have to know I think he would be a, a somebody who would just know that. I think, man, I, I bet Blaney likes boiled peanuts. He'd be in my top three most likely to like boiled peanuts of the current yeah. cup series. Chase is definitely number one. And I, I'm not going to – I'm going to ask Chase if he wins a Roval. I will ask Chase after he wins the Roval again. Um, if I don't see him this month in May, then I'm, right. I'm, so, I'm, I'm asking him. Like I'm straight up, like, if he's – if he's in the media center and I'm down there or in any opportunity I have, I'm just straight up asking, Chase, do you like boiled peanuts? It's happening. And I, I'll tell you my third guy who I'm certain would like boiled peanuts, Kyle Petty, for some reason. I don't he's know. not active, but I 100% agree. No, 1,000% I agree. You, I bet Kyle loves I, him. I, I, would tell, I bet you he's the kind of guy who would sit on the tailgate of a pickup truck at, after a race, sit by the fire, and tell racing stories till midnight and eat boiled peanuts. I don't know why I think that. I just think, I, I just he's a boiled boy peanut kind of guy. I, I agree. And again, Randall in North Carolina. If you're from Randall in North Carolina, man, you got. I feel like you know you you're like they look at you funny if you don't like boiled peanuts. You know, like I was born in Hickory, North Carolina, and I don't like. Uh, this is gonna piss you off. Um, I don't like sweet potatoes, and a lot of people judge me negatively for that. 
you know, including why, my parents. Why is that? I don't like black eyed peas either, Ben. I'm I'm Man. I'm absolutely throwing away your respect, whatever respect you had for me. Um, I, I love collard greens. I love a whole lot of southern food. Okay, collard greens way up there, by the way. But um, I do not All like. Right. I, I don't like. I don't like uh, sweet potato. I'm not a terribly picky eater. Like I, I've worked with. I, I know people who are picky eaters. I'm really not. I just uh. You know, I tried it all. I've tried sushi. I don't like sushi. Um, okay, I'm with you on that. I, yeah. I can't do, you know, my wife, Eva, she loves sushi. And, I, you know, I tell her, I said, let's just go to Myrtle Beach. You just stick a hook in the water, yank that baby out, and just get a knife. And just lay on the beach and just eat this fish. <laughs> and see, and I, and most of the uh, cup I, guys like sushi. So I, 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 I well, think, I don't, I don't know. I don't I've tried it. it. Have you tried it? Well... I have to say, yeah, I think I did. I think I did. Yes, I have. When we went to Japan those two years, okay. actually, I tried it one of those years, the first year, and it was like a 10, 15 second thing. And I was like, if I can ever find a trash can, I'll never try this again. That was the exact same reaction I had. Um, one of my friends had me try it several years ago. Um, and I tried it and I didn't like it, but I, you know, I gave it a shot and I gave these other things a shot too. I'm not much of a beans guy, so I don't, I don't like like baked beans. I don't like black eyed peas. It's just not my thing. Um, right, I like green what, beans. What, um, what happened to, well, I mean, I, mean, I could be your therapist and save you a lot of money. Just real quick, <laughs> and we'll, go, we'll go back to racing here in just a minute. Just okay. What happened to you? In your childhood? What happened? <laughs> I was probably what dropped happened? on my head. Well, I, don't, I take that back. I don't think I was dropped on my head, but my parents did tell a story of I had, you know, those uh, battery powered Bigfoot uh, cars. That you could, you know, there's like, like two, three years old, you like get in, you drive them. I used to drive the hell out of that thing. And we had a uh-huh. hill in front of our house. And so one time my dad said, um, I was going up the side of the hill. I was like two or three. I was going up the side of the hill and I just had the throttle, you know, I didn't crack the throttle. I'm just hauling ass. And uh, apparently I uh, just rolled it. I just rolled it and um, it landed on all four and we just kept going. So it could have been that. Could have been all <laughs> well, kinds of different things. Oh, um, I thought you were about to say you rolled it in, and landed on my head. No, I didn't. No, no, you rolled it into some collard greens, and they saved your life. And like Eureka, man! If I, know, I love, from... I love collard greens, chicken and dumplings, man. There's a lot of great. Okay. There are a lot of great Southern foods. It's just like to me, boiled peanuts, black eyed peas, um, and uh, sweet potatoes. It just it doesn't do anything for me. Uh, I recognize it's like it's like Adele's music, man. Like I don't listen to Adele, but I understand why people would like her music. I just it doesn't appeal to me. Um, I don't watch okay. the View, but I understand if people like the View. I don't. I have no interest in it. Um, but okay, getting back to NASCAR, yeah. your point about Kyle Petty, very well founded. Kyle's from Randleman. I think Kyle definitely is a boiled peanut guy. I think most of the Cup drivers probably would like boiled peanuts, particularly if they don't know about peanuts being bad luck. That's probably the only taboo thing. Um, right. But okay. But I, I know for a fact. Okay, I can I can vouch for this. Kyle Petty does like. Mayonnaise sandwiches with pe- with uh, salt and pepper. That's I that's his dad's that. thing. Yeah, I yeah. know because he got it from his dad. Yep. He's like, I am a mayonnaise sandwich guy. <laughs> See, now because, I like that. You got to put some tomato and some ham and cheese in there, though. I mean, he will do that. But I mean, he's like, I, if things are really lean and you know it's late at night, there's no tomatoes or ham or cheese anywhere around. I will do a mayonnaise sandwich and i'm with him because we got that in common junior does does that too doesn't he i think he does yeah yeah but here's the thing when we were growing up we're the same age we come home from school we talked long and hard about this we come home from school and gilligan's island would be on tv (laughs) 
and we'd get home from school and we would have, and now we'd, we'd live about, you know, an hour and a half from each other. We're not like we did it together or anything, but I mean, we would, we I'm would envisioning both... y'all doing that though, come home from school and doing it together, but continue. But okay. We would eat mayonnaise sandwiches, Okay. you know, and then we would try to sneak in a mayonnaise sandwich with salt and pepper. And then my dad and his dad, if he was home, he'd say, it's all right, it's time to go mow the grass. So we'd, you know, we we would slide in a mayonnaise sandwich of salt and pepper, and then we'd get roped into going to mow the grass. Okay, it's like an energy drink. Yeah, kind of like that. But I mean, the <laughs> difference was the difference was with me and Kyle. I had a push mower, and Kyle was blessed with one of these high-powered riding mowers. That's okay? that pay enterprises money. Sure, it was. But see now, in the case, real quick, we got to go back to racing right after I tell this. That's okay. Right. It's kind of racing okay. related, though. We've tra- yeah. we've tied this in enough, I think. Right. I think. Okay. So, yeah, we have. Well, it, it does have a horsepower type story to hear. Sure. There okay. You go. So what happened was, one afternoon, you know, Lee was gone to a race. It was like a Martinsville race or something like that. They weren't too far away. Lee was gone. Dell Inman, you know, the cousin crew chief was gone. Richard was gone, obviously, because they had to race. All right. So. Kyle got on the riding mower. He wasn't all that happy about having to mow the grass, but this was a riding mower. This is one of these that had like these. Most people had the three, four, five horsepower riding mower, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, Petty Enterprises, they had one of these 16 horsepower, you know, riding mowers. So Kyle's like, well, cool beans. I got this big, big, great riding mower. So I'll just get this done real quick, go back to the mayonnaise sandwich in Gilligan's Island, and I'll get this done real fast. Yeah. So he gets on this thing. Pops this baby in six gear, whatever, how many gears it had, and got and he lost control of it and hit an oak tree with it, if I'm telling it right, and just tore this thing all to pieces. He said, I was running so fast. He's like, how fast were you running? I was running so fast that it ripped the motor off the frame, okay? This thing was, he said, you wouldn't believe how much power this thing had. It was, again, keep in mind, most of them, if I'm telling it right, he had like five, six, seven horsepower. Okay, this thing was double the power. Jeez. So anyway, they're they're off racing. He's like, he spent the whole weekend. I was like, how am I going to tell, you know, Lee Petty that I wrecked his brand new, sixteen horsepower, you know, riding lawnmower. <laughs> so anyway, they get back from you know the race, and needless to say, he's just waiting on the thunder and the and the lightning. You know, when they get home and. Needless to say, he was not happy because it was a new mower. And yeah. he said, yes, I got in trouble. And yes, I had to, seem like he said, if I'm telling it right, he said he had to work part-time for a long time to pay off this mower. But it was a it was a high-tech, really nice mower. And he said, my, my problem was, he said, I was trying to do it too fast. I was going to get the yard mowed so I could do other things, goof off, play ball, whatever. And the thing just got out from under me. And he wrecked it big time. And me, however, couldn't afford something that nice. And so I had to push mower. And yeah, my story wasn't nearly as big as his. But, but you didn't wreck it. But I didn't wreck it. And, okay. You know, but good old Kyle. He said, Kyle's cool because he'll just tell you straight up. He's he's really nice and he's not, uh, you know, he's a petty and all that jazz. But, I mean, he's a down-to-earth, really down-to-earth guy. And he'll sure. sit down with you with his feet propped up and a... And a, and a soft drink and he'll just let me tell you what happened to me let me tell you you know that kind of thing the neatest guy in the world to talk to so is his dad you know yep. he's just they're just family and they they've never let the the, the popularity or the money or any of that kind of stuff he has kyle could sit down and tell you some of the funniest things 
that have happened to him as a petty growing up in Level Cross and, you know, like running all, running all the dogs through the wet concrete, all those things. It was just, he's just a funny guy. He's a, he's a great, he's a joy to be, have as a friend. I can tell you that. Great guy. Yeah. I mean, if we could get KP on here, I mean, the amount of stories, oh, you know, man. he's, he, he is so much fun to talk to. One of the, as you say, one of the most approachable people, um, little known fact, I don't know how little known, um, you know, Kyle has done a radio show at, at the Speedway, uh, that recorded it at the PRN, um, and I have a Kyle Petty license plate on the front of my car. Um, because my car is silver, I wanted a, you know, some sort of NASCAR-related license plate. I have a 2019 Camry, and uh, so I wanted to get a, uh, you know, pretty cool license plate, silver car, silver bullet. So if you guys remember when Kyle Petty drove the Coors Light number 42 Pontiac in the mid-1990s, that is my license plate on the front of my car is uh, the Kyle Petty license plate. So... I'm hoping at some point Kyle has seen that when he's been in the parking lot because if he has, I bet it freaked him out for a second. Yeah, um, and you but, know, you know okay. too. I apologize. I didn't mean to step on you You're there, good? but Go I, ahead, just think, just think about this. If you look up the the singer Yanni from oh, the God. early '90s, yep, and look up look up a photo of Kyle, they look identical. And he, no kidding, he looked like Yanni in a in a metal yellow suit. For and he was 90s. a singer for a while. And he was. He played guitar, and he was on several you know national tv shows and and pretty good singer and guitar player there you know he's driving race cars on the weekends and and doing some national tv shows during the week and you know and i'm a multi-talented guy just and one of those just super cool guys that has never ever ever let this uh you know fame and fortune and sure being being the king's son and all that and that's what's so cool he doesn't call him dad richard he calls him the king that's what he is <laughs> and, man yeah you know and he and he, I still asked him one time, I said, what is the coolest thing about living under the same roof with a king when you're growing up? He said the man would wear boots or cowboy boots or whatever, driving a race car. But the minute, the second he got home, he would be barefoot the whole time he was in the house. <laughs> he would never wear a pair of shoes in the house. I said, no kidding. He said, yeah, he would never, ever. The man went barefoot in blue jeans all over the house every chance he got yeah. until he had to put on a pair of shoes to go out the door to go to a car race but the second the man walked in the back door in the kitchen he just flipped his shoes off and they stayed off until he absolutely had to put his shoes back on i just thought that was cool that is cool and honestly we've talked about kp so much that's what a lot of people call kyle petty kp uh we've uh we talked about kp so much that um he might as well be our driver of the week this week for the lifetime in nascar podcast yeah, sure. I, I gotta throw one more it's the month of may it has been been 34 years since KP won the Coca-Cola 600 1987 at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And uh, he told me a really funny story of when he won that race. This is his second career cup win. He had won at Richmond. He mm-hmm. was driving for the Wood Brothers, 1987, driving the number 21 Ford Thunderbird. Uh, had a pretty good car. I think he qualified fairly well for this race. And but you know, guy, even even in Randleman Level Cross area, it's not it's not a short little jaunt to to Charlotte, but um, it's not too far of a drive. So guys who are you know live in that area or the, even the Winston Salem area, some of them would go home and you know spend Friday Saturday night at home in their beds and then drive to the Speedway on Sunday. And Kyle Petty did this in 1987, which is okay, which is not notable at all, except he overslept. He, mm-hmm. he overslept pretty big. And so he wakes up, sees the clock, and he's like, oh, God, I'm going to be, you know, forget the driver's meeting. I might, I might be late for the race. 
So as he's telling the story, he hauls ass down the highway and gets to the racetrack. You know, any stop he had to make on the way, forget about it. Gets there in time, no problem. And then he goes out and races 600 miles in the daylight and wins. Uh, so excited, just, you know, full of emotion. This is the biggest win, and it was the biggest win of his career. The 600 means a lot to a whole lot of people, particularly if you're from the Carolinas and you grew up in the petty household where, you know, it took the king a long time to win the 600. So this is a huge win for the petty family. KP's, you know, ecstatic, as, as you can imagine. Uh, hops in his truck, throws his Bruton Smith trophy in there with him, and he drives, you know, back home to Randleman, Ben, and, uh, he runs out of gas in Salisbury <laughs> on, the, on the highway. And so he had to have somebody give him a lift so he could get gas in his car. Um, so he won the Coca-Cola 600. But uh, as they, you know, the 600 is often a fuel mileage race. For Kyle Petty, it wasn't a fuel mileage race. It was a fuel mileage day. He meant to stop right. and get gas on the way. And in his haste to get there on time, he forgot. And so he ran out of gas. But he still got the trophy. And that's what matters most. Wouldn't think about the guy who picked him up on the way. It's like, really? Hey, I'm Kyle Petty, and this is I won the 600 today, but I ran a gas. Yeah, like his well, trophy's that... in the in the seat with him, so like you know it's legitimate. Like imagine if you're driving somewhere in Charlotte, and a guy you know, like kind of flags you. I was like, hey man, can I get a lift? You know, obviously there's a understandable feeling of apprehension at this, and you're sure. like, he's got like a Bass Pro Shop shirt. That's Martin mm-hmm. Truex Jr. Like, imagine what that would be like. That would be so crazy. That guy had a memory forever. Yeah, and you know what? As a possibility, the guy actually went to the race that day or something. It's like, That's no way. True. This this couldn't be. I mean, nah. You know, you you, you know, you sure do look like Martin Truett. Are you sure to look like Kyle Petty? He was like, I am Kyle Petty. Nah, you couldn't be Kyle Petty. <laughs> yeah, he, was, he won the 600. He's partying right yeah, now. Yeah. Well, I'm sure. like to, but I got to get home first. And, yeah. Or, so, yeah. or he could have just, he, he just could have gone and said, yeah. You know, I know I look like Kyle. I'm actually his twin brother. We we don't tell anybody he's got a twin brother, but yeah, I'm really his twin. I'm Carl Petty. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I, I, you know, we we could keep keep that kind of under wraps. We don't tell anybody about. You know, but you know, here's the deal. Something else, real quick about Kyle, and and this is, tells you so so much about the Petty family. Real quick story. Every Christmas when they were growing up, they probably still do it. They would they her mom their mom Linda who has sadly passed away now, but they would have uh, the, the children, Kyle and Rebecca, and I'm so sorry, I forgot the other one's name, but the the sisters there, they would um, have them wrap gifts, and they would put male and female on them, and they'd put an age, I think, on them, and they would just, just pack the car with these gifts up to the almost to the roof line, and they would just go to these areas of, of Randleman and Level Cross, and they would leave, uh, you know, go to these houses, and they'd knock on the door, and they would separate. Actually, what they would do is they, Kyle would take some, Rebecca would take some, the other daughter would take some. Please forgive me. I, can't, I went blank. I can't think of her it's name. Good, Please. And so they would just they go in their cars, and they would just take them all of these places. And Kyle said, now, here's the deal. I said, Mom would say, you can't just leave them on the porch. you got to stay, knock on on the door. Nope, someone doesn't come to the door. you you got to go back. You can't just leave them. you got to greet them, shake their hand, tell them Merry Christmas, ask them some questions, see if they need anything else. And I just thought, you know what, that is just incredibly cool that they would do that for people that they don't even know. And make sure that their Christmas is is good. And 
whether it be food or whether it be clothing or whether it be toys. They didn't have to do that, but they took the time to do that. And that just tells you what an incredibly cool family they are. Now, this is a family that's world famous, that have got, uh, they made great amounts of money and just the coolest family in the world. But they've always, always, always been grounded and they weren't uh, aloof and not better than anybody else. Uh, I don't know. I just have an incredible amount of respect for the Pettys. Always have, always will. But that was just something that just put the icing on the cake. The cake was already sweet, and then you put the icing on top of that. But to to know that they did that for so many families, for so many years, and and I'm telling you, they didn't know these people. They just kept branching out and branching out. Just says so much for that that family. Absolutely does. And to make sure that we get all their names mentioned, uh, Richard and Linda had four kids, Kyle, Sharon, Lisa, and Rebecca. I looked it up just to make sure. Thank we got everybody for, mentioned in there. Well, that's why you're such a good friend, too, because you covered for me. And I just went blank there for a second. I couldn't. And I was like, what are their names? You know, I mean, if you didn't ask, it's one of those things. If you didn't ask me, I could tell you. And then suddenly it's like, OK, what are their names? Because I've known them forever. Aaron spoke so anyway. for people in the Bible and he speaks for people in the podcast. Well, so we're, well, we're, just, you, we're just carrying on tradition, man. We're carrying on well, a thousand you. years tradition. Thank you, because I can <laughs> I can stick my foot in my mouth as easily as anybody else can. So I'm good at it. So thank you. Well, and and remove r- remove your foot for a moment so I can uh, I, I can okay. so I want to hear a story because uh, I, one topic that that I'd, I'd like to talk about for a little bit yeah. is uh, you know we obviously we call ourselves NASCAR historians because we nerd out at NASCAR you know facts and stuff mm-hmm. and we've happened to catch a couple races here and there over the last forever um, but Ben the first Cup race that you ever covered. Um, uh, tell me about it. What year was it? What, uh, what outlet were you with? Uh, who won? What, do you, what are some specifics that you remember about the first uh, cup race that you covered? Sure, I'd be glad to. It was, the, uh, it was in October of 1983, and it was North Wilkesboro Speedway. And the one thing I remember most about that day was, first off, I, I remember walking up the hill, being able to, to stop at the the grandstands looking down on the start finish line or the front stretch and just seeing the the sea of race cars and i've already been to the track many times as a fan I, my first race i mentioned before in other shows darlington 1972 april 16th 1972 so i've been to several but today it's like okay i've got my credentials as a reporter and i'm going to go down and cover this race and I went down, I was like, man, this is the coolest thing. So I'm in the garage for the first time. And the first guy I talked to was Jeff Bodine. It's just the first guy I talked to okay. for something I was working on. Yeah. And I got to tell you, and, and those listening, I was so afraid and so nervous. <laughs> I don't know why. I just was. And I thought, because it was just, I was just overwhelmed. I was just taking all this in. Yeah. And, and the interview that I was doing was fine. I think I think he could tell I was a little nervous. He said, are you okay? I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, he could just tell I was, I don't know. Did you talk was, to him in the in the truck? At the, I, in the trailer? I, I kind of think, I, yeah, I think I did. Okay. And it was in the garage area there. And he, he just winked at me and said, buddy, you're going to be great. <laughs> That's awesome. Because he, he said, you know what? He said, you asked some really good questions. 
I said, Jeff, I said, you just don't know, man. I said, I, this is a dream come true for me to be here and, and all that. And we hit it off fine. I think he could just, I was a little nervous in my delivery of my questions. And, and, and the more I did it, of course, the better I got. But it was just that day. It was just like, I have finally arrived. I'm finally doing it. And the article that I wrote wasn't very long. It was you know, five, six hundred words, maybe. And it, oh, by the way, and it was for the Lexington Dispatch newspaper, who okay. I'm, I still write for, 38 years, still writing for them. And I've written for many others. I was, you know, NASCAR C, NASCAR Illustrated, Speed Sport Magazine. But, and I went to work full time for, uh, you know, for NASCAR scene and illustrated throughout the nineties and two thousands. Mm-hmm. And I continued writing for Lexington, but I just remember that day, how cool it was to be in the press box. And I, I just felt like I have arrived. This is what I want to do. And I stayed with it. And but it was just cool because, you know, somebody could have just blown me off somebody else, but I will never forget. And I told Jeff later, I, you know, I said, do you remember that? And he said, no, not totally, but I but I complimented him. I said I just want to thank you for being so kind to me. I said because I was a, a just a rookie. I didn't know what I was doing. Had no clue. Nervous. I said but you were very kind to me. And as as time went on, we became very good friends, you know. And but he was he was nice to me, and he didn't have to be. He was just let me help you out. Let me put my arm around you and help you out. And that was my first experience. That was cool. That is awesome. And yeah, man, that is, I I find, I, it's always fascinating to me that you still contribute to the same outlet 30 years, 38 years later. That's so cool. Um, for me, my first race I covered was the 2012 all-star race at Charlotte motor speedway. I was with uh, Lake Norman publications. It was a series of, uh, of newspapers. The one that I contributed to primarily was the Mooresville weekly in uh in mooresville north carolina and uh i wrote for them for almost three years before i started Mm -hmm. with speed sport full-time in 2014 but i was with them uh, at this time and you know certainly hyper local newspaper um i know several drivers uh, at least a couple drivers who read it kurt bush told me at the time that he 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 got the paper and he read it but which is really cool but first race weekend i covered was the all-star race um, so they're in the truck race. That was pretty cool. Um, and it was like, it was the same thing as you've been like, I slept three or four hours the night before I was nervous. I was excited. I was like, Oh my God, I want to do this forever. Like I'm going to be in the media center yeah. at, at, doing press conferences with these drivers. This is incredibly cool. It was overwhelming. Yeah, it, really um, was. it was just, it was exciting. You know, like the, you can't, you can't replicate something again, that feeling. And it was so much fun. And uh, Dale Jr. won the sprint showdown, um, which was really cool. It was his first win in a cup car in almost four years. And then he won, you know, at Michigan a few weeks later and then won a bunch a couple years later, including another Daytona 500 2014. But, you know, there was just excitement. You know, I grew up going to this race. So if there was any race that I wanted, and I'll, I'll say this, like, you know, particularly when it was at my home track, if there was any race on the schedule I could win, I'd probably pick the all-star race because I grew up going to that race. That's the race mm-hmm. that means more to me. And then mm-hmm. to cover that race in 2012 was really cool because it was exactly 20 years since I went to my first race, which was the all-star race. Um, so it was really special, you know, to, to think about me with a blonde mullet sitting in the grandstands, uh, <laughs> And 20 years later, yeah. I'm in a um, Brooks Brothers shirt and khakis. And I'm in the media center covering it, which is really cool. Yeah. Now, yeah. I yeah. had a Jeff Bodine-like experience too, Ben, because um, I, I, the next week, I didn't interview anybody that weekend. Next weekend, the weekend of the 600, 
Uh, I was talking to Jim Utter, the Charlotte Observer. Jim's been with Motorsport.com for a long time. Very accomplished NASCAR journalist. Um, and, you know, I, somehow we had started talking. And um, I was, you know, he was like, I'm going to go talk to Joey Logano. Do you want to go? And I was like, sure, okay. Um, so, you know, I, I'm thinking, you know, do, is he going to interview him? What's the deal? He's like, no, I just got to ask him. You know, I, got, I asked him about something that we were talking about. Um, and so I was thinking, well, hell, I might as well take advantage of this and see if I can interview him. And and he's like, yeah, yeah. So his his PR guy at the time was in Jeremy, and so he 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 lines it up with Jeremy. We're just kind of standing outside the, the trailer and uh, the transporter, and he, you know, uh, Jeremy's like, yeah, let me ask Joey. Comes back like thirty seconds later, and Joey opens the door, and he's like, hey, come on in, guys. So I mean, I've never met him, obviously. Jim knows him very well. Um, and, uh, you know, so he's, uh, so I'm just kind of standing there. They make small talk for a second or two. And then Jim's like, all right, well, I just didn't want to catch up with you. And so Jim leaves and Joey's like, so you're going to interview me, right? And I was like, yeah, if, you know, if you're cool with that. And one thing I, I remember, Ben, this was uh, Friday, I think the Thursday or Friday of 600 week, um, because he was going to get his car for practice after this to run the then nationwide race. And I don't remember what his sponsor was, but his fire suit was designed to look like a tuxedo which i thought was pretty 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 badass <laughs> yeah. um and i didn't really like have an idea of what i was going to write because i had talked to my editor and he wanted me to come up with a, a piece about uh what a driver's day is like on a race day and it's like and you know, i we didn't anticipate talking to a cup guy you know it was like probably talk to a truck series driver or something not joey logano and so I didn't really know what to how to go with it, um, but the interview went really well. I, I wound up asking him mostly those questions and stuck to those, and decided to go off the cuff a little bit and just get another couple, a uh, couple answers from him. And uh, because it seemed like he he didn't he didn't really want to to get into that too much because it just didn't seem that interesting. I started asking him other questions about his his relationship with his teammates at Joe Gibbs Racing because remember he was still with JGR then, and had only one Career Cup win at this time. His second win would come two or three weeks after that, and you know, uh, talking to him about his relationship with his team and all. And I was like, you feel like you're becoming, you know, more of a leader with, with, you know, with your guys. And he's like, well, listen, your first responsibility as a driver is to be a driver. You know, I I don't want to go in there and micromanage what my crew chief's doing. I don't want to uh, tell them how to do their jobs. You know, my job is to drive the race car. I'm going to give them feedback on what, you know, I can to make it faster for us. And I want us to win. But I I don't feel the need to go in there and you know tell them what they need to do better. That that's their job. I drive the race car, and I thought it was such a cool answer. Um, and he gave uh, some other insights that I thought were really interesting, and it wound up being a really cool story. Um, but those were the first experiences I had interviewing him, and I haven't thanked him for that. I need to because um, I've talked to Joey countless times since then. He has always been an absolute pro uh, since 2012 as a journalist, PR guy, marketing guy, whatever, there are three NASCAR drivers, Ben, who stand out above all the others as being the absolute coolest guys, first of all, most approachable, second, greatest quotes, third, hit all the messaging, four, and excellent drivers, five, and they are Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jimmy Johnson, and Joey Logano. Mm -hmm. I have always left all three of those with with an overwhelmingly positive experience, and, uh, you know, Dale Jr. and Jimmy are obviously super popular. You know, we've touched on how popular and successful they are. I'm a fan of theirs, have been for a long time. But 
a lot of people don't like Joey Logano, and I'm wanted to basically to take this time for a second to be like, why? Because yeah, you know, if you pull for somebody who's a non-Joey Logano driver, yeah, he's probably raced your guy like a jerk. Yeah, he probably has used him up before. He's a racer. He races people hard. His job is to beat you, and he is good at it. But he's also a, a approachable guy. Like he's not a jerk. He doesn't he doesn't cause problems, you know, to people. Uh, he's he's unfailingly kind. I have seen him talk to uh, an entire classroom full of kids, and it's not forced. He doesn't have to put on a face. He's not you know faking it when he's out there. He has fun with it. He's genuinely a really good guy, and so mm-hmm. that is my un uh, that that is my unsolicited defense, Joey Logano, because I think he's a super cool guy. I had that great experience with him talking to him in 2012 uh, for the first like. You know, I wrote a race report, but then actually, I don't think I wrote a race report of the All Star Race. I'm thinking back, Ben, because what I did was uh, the other guy I was paired with. I think he wrote that one, and then I, I was mostly just your features guy, which I love more anyway. And yeah, I'm I'm with you there too. I'm yeah. a features guy, and I'm not. I mean, I've done a lot of race coverage type pieces over the over many many years. But sure. If I had a choice, I would rather do features. And so what we did with NASCAR Illustrated is we sort of tried to bind the two together and and do a featureized race lead, which was, you know, instead of so doing a lap by lap by lap thing, sure. we tried to do something like what was the, the key to uh, this particular win. And I'm trying to come up with something off the top of my head, but all right, let's take this for instance, say, you know, when, when Dale Earnhardt was given the lucky penny before he won the 1998 Daytona 500. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a small part of, of the overall picture, but I mean, it was something that meant a lot to him to have been given the penny just before the start and they glued it to the dashboard and he wins the race. Uh, you know, one of those deals. And so that's what we tried to concentrate on But when we did that. But, you know, you're talking about people that were really good to talk to. Uh, I've got a few of my own, but you know what? Looking back at Jeff Bodine in, in October of 83 at Wilkesboro, he could have really been a horse's patoot to me, and that could have sent me in into an entirely different direction. And sure. said, well, you know what? I don't want to be a NASCAR. What a jerk. I want to go do something else and could have really killed my confidence. Lagana could that, have been the same way to me. Completely can relate right. to that. And, and, you know, and I have all, I know this is so cliche-ish, but it is so entirely important. And and for any young people listening to our, our broadcast here, it, you know, you you just simply have to treat people like you want to be treated and man i'm telling you that's so important because you don't know how you influence people when you speak to them for the very first time and there's a couple of guys that i just praise and praise and praise for this throughout my career i have never ever ever seen jeff gordon and jimmy johnson berate a a young journalist who's come in with a question that uh, you know that was that they didn't agree with or whatever. I mean, because there's a lot of times that a person would ask a question that just simply don't know that it may not be the greatest of questions. And they, I mean, all right, I'm not talking about, you know, is a tire round. That's not what I'm talking about, but they may not have the exact. Oh, you can just misphrase something. Yeah. You can just phrase it incorrectly and, uh, and then, and, and piss off a guy. Um, you know, and, right. and, and sometimes it, it, it can be justified. I've seen, you know, some young journalists asking questions that I wouldn't say were the most professional. You can phrase it in a different way. I always try to I would always try to phrase a question positively. 
even to oh, a yeah, driver absolutely. who might be struggling. And some people don't do that. A lot of journalists don't do that. And it's probably why a lot of racing journalists have, there's this stigma that, you know, they're out to get you or they're writing a hatchet job on you, which is sure. not right. true the, at all. Right. There are gotcha questions that they throw at some of these drivers. You could tell the difference between someone who just simply is not as prepared as they should be. But I've seen Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson both try very, uh, very much to not, you know, embarrass the, the person asking the question because you could tell the difference. Some yeah. of them are just mean about it, where others are, maybe they're just not as informed. Yeah. Now, on a funny side of that, the, the, I love Bobby Allison, but there'd be times where someone would say, <laughs> would say to him something, what's the key to winning this race today? And he said, well, come here, let me show you what I'm talking about. And God, you do a Bobby Allison voice better than Bobby Allison. <laughs> Well, thank you. I mean, he he's even said, you got that down pretty good. <laughs> Stop, man. You're freaking me out now. And so he, he would say, well, let me tell you, come over here. And he'd show him something on the car. And the guy would, like, physically run back to the media center. i say, B.A., why do you do that? These people, you know, because he's like, I just like to have some fun with them. And, you know, one of those deals. So, I mean, he's like, and Donnie would say, Bobby, why do you do that to him? And it's one of those things that he's having some fun. But obviously, you're not going to tell them the key to the win today because they're not, you know, they're not going to tell you that. But sure. I mean, I've seen, I've been at the wrong end of that too, where you ask a legitimate question, and, and you get your head of, bitten off by somebody. Get your head bitten. I've off been there like, as well by a driver who no, I will not mention. Yeah, and I've been there by a driver who we won't mention or a couple, and it's like it's just a legitimate question, you know. And we know of a driver who will now say, well, why are you comparing the past to the present? Because this is not the past, this is the present. There are legitimate times and reasons why you would do something sure. like that. So anyway, there's just there's some really good drivers out there. And and Terry Labonte is another one that yeah. you he's not going to berate you for doing something. But, but let's be fair, Bobby and Terry both have very little to say you know bobby i love him dearly but you'd say bobby can you tell me a particular how did, how was the car today and kill your is this way how was the car today the car was great can you elaborate on that uh, how your answer is that the, car was really, the car was really great and you know so they're gonna you know they're gonna do that kind of thing yeah so they're just not very talkative at times but Casey Kane's like that too, but Casey's also another one. He's my honorable mention, probably fourth place is another absolute pro. Yeah, see, Casey's got this down, buddy. He he figures this out. When he's walking through an airport and he knows that you he sees you, he pulls out his cell phone and he pretends he's talking on his cell phone, but he really doesn't have a phone call. That's awesome. Now I've always had great experiences with Casey. Yeah, I have too. And he kind of, he, but he does that because he's, you know, he, and you and see, that's part of it too, though, Aaron, you, you know, when to talk to guys, you know, when not to talk to guys. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And you've got to, you've got to respect their time with their families. You got to respect their time. There's a right time and a wrong time to talk to them about certain things. When you get into a garage area setting, they're obviously talking to their crew chief or their team owner. Obviously, you don't walk up and tap them on the shoulder. Yeah. But you sort of feel it out. You learn that from time and you learn that from experience as to when is the right time. Yeah. And sometimes they'll wink at you, pull, you know, 
motion you over if they want to talk to you. But obviously, if they're in a real deep conversation with their crew chief, no, it's not a good time to talk. Right. And so you just feel it out. You just know, you know, when that's time is good. It is. And, yeah. and like with you, with Bobby Allison, is the same experience with me and Dale Jr. You know, it, it, I've been fortunate that it, there was never really a bad time. You know, like I, he did, uh, he was doing his media after the 2015 600 when I was with Speed Sport, and I, he finished third in the 600, and I wanted, I was doing a sidebar on the fact that he had finished in the top five and like, either all of the mile and a halfs to that point in the season, or all but one of the mile and a halfs, but hadn't won, and uh, so I was doing a sidebar on the fact that he's like, the he'd scored more points than any other driver on the intermediate track, so he just hadn't won a race yet, and uh or at least on a mile and a half or an, inter, or an intermediate. If you consider Phoenix an intermediate, he did end up winning it on an intermediate that year. But I digress. He did his little media deal. And, you know, I was thinking like, all right, and I've touched on this before. I was like, you know, all right, I, if I ask him for a comment now, there's a decent chance it's going to piss him off. And, you know, what, what side do I want to value more? The fan side in me, which is don't say anything. You just write something else. Mm-hmm. Write what everybody else is writing, or the journalist side, which is prod a little bit politely, see if you can get the story, do something that not everybody else is doing. And so I took a shot. I uh, mm-hmm. the, the lady who was helping out him with PR, he had you know an apparatus at all times, and uh, I asked her you know kindly, and you know she's like, all right, yeah, we'll see. Just walk with us, and you know maybe he will, maybe he won't. You know, obviously the fact he had a great finish and. He's either the points leader or second in points at that point, you know. Certainly, that's going to improve a guy's mood, right? So I was like, "All right, what the hell? I'm going to try." So we mm-hmm. were walking through the garage area. He signs a diecast for somebody, and I kind of, you know, he, Dale Jr. is a he's a fast walker. A lot of times, he doesn't like to slow down. Um, you got to keep up with him, and of course, because if he does, if he slows down, he's going to get besieged by people, even between the transporters, like we were, where you feel like most people wouldn't be. Somebody camps out somewhere all over the racetrack and you know that well Ben. so um mm-hmm. so i just ran up to him with my you know and i've talked to him a few times before this uh, a couple times maybe not that year in 15 by that point but fairly recently and so uh run up to him tape quarter on dale can you talk for just a second about your success on the one and a half milers this year and i'm like nervous as hell because i was like mm-hmm. this is gonna this could ruin i've talked to him he's been super pro but he has finished his media obligations. He does not have to talk to me. I am poking the bear here big time. And he sees me and he smiles and he puts his arm around me. And he was like, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I thought we I thought we had to get better at him, to be honest. And I was like, really? Well, you know, you've you know, you've finished top five, like five in a row or something like that. And he's like, really? No um, so I, I apologize if that has to get bleeped out. Um, but. I had to quote him warmly and accurately. Sure. And he was like, you know, it's such credit to Greg and the guys, man. You know, uh, I had great cars every race, and uh, I just, you know, it means a lot, man. That's what it is. And he's like, the whole time he's talking, he still has his arm around me. It's very much a Dale Earnhardt thing, senior or junior. Put your arm around somebody and, like, pull it up against their neck as they walk. Uh, he's just the same thing his dad did. And, uh it was just a really cool experience for me because I got a great story, gave great quotes, and you had all these people who were like, you know, starstruck taking pictures and videos of him. And I'm in all these pictures, man, and I'd love to see one. I think it'd be really cool, but I'm probably mm-hmm. never going to. But um, mm-hmm. one one side note to that story before we wrap up here, Ben, that was May 24th, 2015. That was 13 years to the day after I met him for the first time at an autograph session in Hickory, North Carolina. 
at Dale Jarrett Incorporated. Um, and then 13 years later, I was interviewing him in the garage at Charlotte. Pretty special. Um, we got so many stories that we told today and, you know, got to make up for lost time, right? So I, you know, I want to, we'll probably have to go back and delve in some of these more um, on episode 17, uh, which I'm sure is going to feature Daryl Waltrip quite a bit, as it should, and probably Matt Kenseth and uh, a couple other folks. First of all, Ben, we would definitely be remiss to not mention Matt Kenseth when we get to episode 17 next time because uh, our man Eric, who is uh, the the lead dog on the Out of the Groove podcast network, of which uh, Lifetime in NASCAR is a part, big Kenseth guy, so we're definitely we're going to throw some Kenseth stories out there. I got a couple that are pretty funny of him, oh, uh, yeah. of him making fun of other journalists, of him making fun of me. Matt is an incredibly cool guy. But for now, Ben, I think we have crossed the finish line on episode 16. Uh, I absolutely love hearing some of these stories from you. I apologize to you guys that we talked too much about food. But hey, you know, food's part of racing. You know, we've talked about it. Sponsors yeah. talked about it. There's all kinds of stuff. And, you know, if I say we're not going to do it again, we're going to be lying because we're probably going to talk about it again. And Ben's going to think of ways to make fun of me for not liking sweet potatoes. Just part of it. Uh, mm-hmm. But in the meantime... You guys, throw a rating our way wherever you're listening to the A Lifetime of NASCAR podcast. Also, you can you know you can tweet at nppmag at polepositionmagazine.com. Tell us your thoughts, not just on what we talk about, but also your thoughts on boiled peanuts, on sweet potatoes, on black-eyed peas, on Bowman Gray Stadium, all kinds of stuff. God, we covered so many topics today, Ben. Yes, we did. That's fun. <laughs> um, it was very fun. But, uh, but, you know, we love to hear you guys' feedback. In the meantime, though, for Ben White, I'm Aaron Burns. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of A Lifetime in NASCAR Podcast. So long for now. Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. 
Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at ForneyIn.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, Ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.